This is the Dancepreneuring Studio podcast session number 115. What you see is not always what you get. Hi there, and welcome to session number 115 of the Dancepreneuring Studio podcast. I'm so happy that you're here with me today. I'm Annette Bone, and the Dancepreneuring Studio is the place where dance inspires life and business. I get the joy and the privilege of sharing my journey back into the dance world and the lessons I've learned, the transformation I've experienced, the wonderful artists that I've met along the way who also share their stories, their ideas, strategies, and tactics to help move your life and your business forward. So I'm doing something a little bit different in this session, and in lieu of the Freestyle Flow segment and the Dancer's Dialect segment, we're going to take the Step to Success segment and do a new step in terms of going a little bit deeper into a dance subject. And I could not think of a better way to do this by having my awesome dance trainer, David Bagley, who is featured on my milestone session, session number 100, and I'll link it in the show notes at annettebone.com forward slash 115. And I had some questions for him, and I was very curious how he would answer. It all pertains to dance training, of course. So I don't know if we're going to do this monthly or quarterly, but for now, I'm going to call it Dance Downloads with David. So I'm excited to share this with you. I know you'll get a lot out of it. So again, coming up in our Step to Success segment, doing a new step, and in our feature presentation, what you see is not always what you get. Thanks again for joining me. Hello, hello, beautiful people. This is David Bagley, performance artist, educator, choreographer, and entrepreneur. And you're listening to another session of Dancepreneuring Studio with my good friend, Annette Bone. It's profitable to be skillful and wise. Welcome to this week's Step to Success. A step to your success is anything that moves your life and your business forward. Whether it's an app, a book, or an idea, you can apply something today that will help you succeed. Today's step is a new step, something that we'll do either monthly or quarterly, and for now we're calling it Dance Downloads with David where we go into a deeper dive on different dance subjects. And I'm really excited about this. If you want to listen to more of his interview, I feature him on my milestone episode, episode 100. So you can either go to the show notes at annettebone.com forward slash 115, where you'll find all the links for this session, or go straight to annettebone.com forward slash 100, where you will get to hear my amazing conversation with my awesome trainer. So here we go on our discussion based on some questions from one of my most favoritest books now, (laughs) Tim Ferriss's Tools of Titans. And if you don't have this book, I highly recommend that you get it. So here we go with Dance Downloads with David. I can't take credit for these questions. I got them from what's turning out to be one of my favorite books on my list now called Tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss. And I will link that in the show notes. It's a book that you must have if you're interested in high performance, entrepreneurship, healthy living. It covers everything and has some of the most prolific people of our time and lots of wisdom and tools and tactics, which is why it's called Tools of Titans. So I want to get right into the questions here. We're going to go into a little bit deeper dive on dance, which of course is one of my favorite subjects to talk about. So um, 
This first question, I'm almost hesitant to ask because of the word that's used, uh, poorly, which poorly is a definition that's different for everyone in, diff- in different industries and different sports. And in the case of dance, you'll see what I mean. So David, who is good at dance despite being quote unquote poorly built for it? That is an interesting word. Uh, <laughs> yes. But, um, well, here's the thing. Everyone's built poorly for dance. It's how you use your um, things that are built well with you. Like how do you use your natural abilities to, to enhance your style? A lot of styles are um, innovated because, you know, um, they lack certain capabilities. So therefore, they have to use what they have to develop something. People who are built poorly, I feel, um, there's a lot of people who who come in with physical disadvantages. Um, you may have gone through an injury, or you may be missing, you know, um, a limb, or you may, you know, have a learning disability. So everyone comes to dance at different through different avenues, and that's the beauty about it is because you can you can really use dance to to enhance yourself. But if I had to choose one artist who's dear to me, who was built poorly but shined no matter what. It would be Peg Leg Bates because that is true inspiration. This guy had no leg. He only had one leg um, way, way back in like the 20s. And he was a tap dancer and he performed all over the world. And not only was he a tap dancer, he was one of the best tap dancers with one leg, if you can imagine. So some might say he was built poorly, but um, he proved them wrong. A lot of people, they think uh, the stigma is overweight dancers are necessarily the best dancers, but I, I beg to differ. <laughs> Sometimes, the majority of the time, a lot of the overweight dancers kill it more than the other dancers. So it, it really depends on perspective. I feel like everyone is built poorly for dance. <laughs> it, it, you really have to find your attributes that are dear to you and use that to enhance your dancing. I really liked your answer, and I knew it would be a good answer. It's something that I didn't expect. So if, for example, you're quote unquote poorly built for ballet, so are you one of those people that thinks, okay, I need to improve my weaknesses or I need to build upon my strengths? Well, I approach dance very interestingly because I approach it conceptually and physically. I'll take a class, not necessarily to be the best at that style, but to pick the teacher's brain or the choreographer's brain to see what their approach is. Because yes, I may not be built for ballet. Yes, I may not be built for, you know, all like acrobatic, you know, acrobatic dancers, some something crazy. But that doesn't mean I can't I can't pull from um, the teacher's approach, and I can't I can't see what what elements they're implementing in their technique that I can take away and implement into myself. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Very so often, I feel like a lot of a lot of dancers they show up to a new style or they show up to a new class, and immediately they feel defeated because whatever it is they're learning is completely new and maybe it doesn't fit onto their body. And they shouldn't let that discourage them. They should use that as fuel and, and always strive to to get it. But dance is mental. Dance it is a physical art form, but but it's all about the approach. And if you don't have the mental capacity to make the decision to go, mm, this is the intention. This is how I'm going to approach this aesthetic, this is how I'm going to approach this movement. You're going to be able to do movement, but you're not going to be able to speak movement. And there's definitely a difference between doing and speaking. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Who are the most controversial or unorthodox athletes or trainers in dance and why? And what do you think of them? Okay, so I'm not going to say any names because there's far too many people, which I have no idea what their name names are. But um, and I don't and I don't want to put a name a name to to a definition, but the most unorthodox 
people that I find in any artistic realm, in any dance realm, that are highly successful are the ones who cross-train. Not only do they, they practice their artistic field, say like, I'm a dancer, but I also swim, and I also you know, compete in competitive sports, and I also draw, and I also do this, and I also do that. So anyone who cross-trains and brings that cross-training into their dance experience only allows more innovation because it, it allows for a different approach. If I was a martial artist and I was a dancer and I fused the two together, all of a sudden I have an aesthetic that I can use that maybe a lot of people haven't experienced before. So I would say the most unorthodox people are the ones who cross-train and really, really try to implement those cohabitation of techniques. Because like I said, dance is all about approach. It's all about intention. It's all about, you know, wh what's the seed? What's the root? What's spur of um, initiation? What's, what's getting me to do the task that I'm doing at this moment, rather than just doing the step to do the step? A lot, like, for example, a lot of uh, Olympic athletes, they do ballet. Why do they do ballet? You know, because it has very good things that you can implement into art, into their, into their training. So I'm the most unorthodox people are the ones who are very open minded and they implement hard, a lot of cross training aesthetics. Who are the most impressive, lesser known teachers? You probably won't name names, but what are their qualities? Are, do they display these unorthodox practices that you recommend or what else would you say about them? Yes, as mentioned, um, it, it's it's our job to to pass down pedagogy and experiences and knowledge of our mentors and to pay them respect. And as mentioned again, you know, I feel like things that are very popular dance styles that that gets lost in the translate in, in translation, especially when um, the focus is to be new, to be current, to be this, to be that, and a lot of people are get lost in that that kind of ideology rather than focusing on training and, and implementing knowledge and experiences that have been passed down from their mentors. So for example, I have seen very capable teachers in this industry who teach at prestigious institutions and, and have worked with some of the best and most versatile artists in their day, but yet their, pa their classes aren't packed because what they're teaching isn't necessarily popular. Doesn't mean it's not less important because they have all this experience, but it's just currently not popular. But there's so much that you can learn from their pedagogy, from, from, from their experiences, from their mentorship. For example, I taught at Edge Performing Arts Center in Los Angeles. And I grew up taking from this guy. And I love this guy to death. And he's a fantastic teacher. But very often, time and time again, I would show up and I would be teaching. And he would have less people in his class than, you know, some of these kids who were 19, 20 years old teaching at Edge. And this guy, he danced for Michael Jackson. He danced for Janet Jackson. He's done a lot of things. And some of his mentors were original um, dancers from West Side Story. And so you think Michael Jackson and West Side Story, completely polar opposite. You know what I mean? But still valid to, to pull from those two sources. And there were such huge, huge, huge culture-shifting um, you know, Michael Jackson was a culture-shifting icon, and West Side Story was a culture-shifting uh, play, performance, musical. And why wouldn't I use the impact that this guy has from all of his mentors and absorb that and, and use that in my training? So I feel like, I don't know, I feel like the level of respect for um, older teachers 
older dance styles is isn't necessarily the focus of where training is and the focus where dance is. Everyone wants to be the next cool pop current, you know, thing. And which is great, which is great, you know, but history repeats itself. And if you do not know your history, you cannot adapt the future. Does that make sense? You can't, you don't, you don't have the tool, you, do, you don't have the tools to, to go, okay, well, that's been done before. And that's been done before, but they haven't been done together. You know, I feel like a lot of focus is taking out of them is taken out of mentorship and out of, out of, out of historical projects and put into more um, current ideology of, I want to be the next, the next thing. I want to do the coolest thing. I want to be the next thing. I want, they don't understand that, that, that innovation comes from history and comes from knowledge of history. So in the short amount of time that we've been talking about this, it's pretty apparent what makes you different. Would you be able to summarize, let's say in five points, give me five quick points that makes you different? Well, this is hard. Oh my God, this is hard. Ah! Okay, five points. Uh, what makes me different is, um, well, I try to hone my craft and I try to use my craft as a language. Dance is a language and very so often people can do dance, but they cannot speak dance. Therefore, they can do their craft, but they cannot use their craft. Also, I can use my craft dance in many different forms. I can use it over here in life. I can use it over here in life. So I really try to use dance as a craft. So that's one. Point number two that makes me different is I'm a lover of learning. I'm always a student and I'm an educator. And I feel like if you're an educator, you have to always be a student because how are you going to educate someone if you're not educating yourself consistently? So that pulls me around. If I feel like I'm, I'm kind of reproducing um, or saying the same thing over and over again, I, I, I try to take time for myself and pull myself out and reinvent myself before I go back and start educating the masses. So that's two. Three, uh, I'm an artist, not just a dancer. I'm an artist, so I pull resources from all areas. Um, I, Like I said, I love history, so I really do my research on a lot of artists and their approaches because I can I can learn from a painter, I can learn from a sculptor, I can learn from an architect, I can learn from a civil engineer based on their approach, and I can implement that into my approach. So research your artists. That's number three. Oh my goodness, there's two more. I have no idea <laughs> what I'm going to say. Um, that makes me different. I would say that I'm willing more so than ever to let my students and let my dancers, whatever setting I'm in, whether a choreographer or educator, to help be a catalyst to take my material and evolve it so so they have a say. I'm not the kind of person to go in and say, this is it, this is what it has to be, da 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 I mean, I am that person, but when I'm trying to, to create an environment that's progressive, I, I like to work in a collaborative setting because if that's how you, you push things. Um, something about me is I'm willing to sacrifice parts of myself and be inclusive to other people and let their let their artistic voice be inclusive to my process as well and let that be a, a big big um point at, into getting what whatever it is I'm trying to get out of the situation so very so often a lot of people go in and they say all right this is what I want it's got to be this way don't do that you have to do this you're wrong you're doing it wrong and in that process they really don't get a good product 
rather than saying, all right, let's use everyone's strengths in the room. Here's, here's the main goal. Everyone focus on this. This is the aesthetic we're going. This is what I'm breaking it down. Now, your job is to do this. Your job is to do this. I'm going to leave and go over here. And when I come back, I want to see what you have given me. And then we can manipulate it from there. So I'm, I'm all about collabor- uh, collaboration within teaching, within education, within um, creative process. So that's something that's, I feel like, unique about me is I put the ball in your court and I make you come to the table with something. Of course, there's a ton of things I can quote from you just in, you know, the, in the little time we've talked. But um, I remember you also saying that choreography is problem solving. And so I, I love that you always facilitate, at least, you know, my personal experience is that you facilitate this great environment where you're forced as the student to be a problem solver, to figure things out. And I love that you always talk about the approach. And I've learned a lot of that from you is the approach. It's not, you've always said this too, like, it's not always about the content, it's about the approach. And so um, it's, you know, getting good at how to approach things and learning different approaches. So I really am glad that you talked about all that. Yeah. That goes back to what we were talking about earlier in this interview is, you know, maybe I'm built poorly for a certain style of dance, or maybe I'm not strong enough to do a lot of these technical feats, but that doesn't, that doesn't shy me or scare me away from taking class because, you know, or taking class out of my comfort zone because I am going to learn something from the choreographer's approach. You know, and a lot of times I'll go and take a class and I'll go, you know what, this didn't work and this didn't work and this didn't work for this guy. But you know what? This one thing did. So a lot of people, they'll go take a class and they'll go, man, I, I'm horrible. I suck. I, this didn't work and this didn't, you know. And they'll they'll focus on the negatives rather than going, you know what? This guy said it this way or this girl said it this way. You know what? I really, I'm going to take that and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to implement that and I'm going to manipulate that is what I was talking about previously and I'm going to use it. You know, there's a lot of people think that you can go into a situation and you leave and you feel like you have nothing to show for it. No, you, our job as humans is to go to any in any situation open-minded and listen to everyone's worth and let that their worth that they project into reality influence me. You know, um, it may be a false reality that they're projecting. It may be a true reality that they're projecting. And it is your job as an individual to be able to identify whatever those are. But nonetheless, you need to find out what's working and you need to grab onto that and go, how can I use this? And that, and it goes back to the approach, you know, all the way back to the approach, you know. People are worried about content, you know. I want to do the perfect pirouette. I want to do the beautiful bantma. I want to do the, the best jive. I want to do the best, you know, samba. It's the approach. And dance is problem solving. And dance is learning. And a lot of phenomenal dancers don't have careers as dancers. They may have a career as a lawyer. They may have a career as a doctor. They may have a career as an educator, but they learn how to learn through the art of dance, and therefore they take that really integral foundation and they implement it into other areas of their life, which is very, very highly rewarding. So I always say dance is problem-solving, but dance is teaching yourself how to learn and then identifying what type of learner you are so that way you can better enhance your your experience in any area of your life. If you can identify how you learn, whether it be visually, whether it be listening, 
you can better enhance your life because you can walk into any situation and go, okay, this is how I learn. This is what I need to do for myself. I learned through repetition. So I need to be going over repetition, not just standing there looking at the teacher thinking, uh, this is too hard. Uh, so it, dance is very integral at learning how you as an individual operate under high stress levels with new material <laughs> and how to problem solve in the moment. And I feel like a very so often a lot of teachers, they, they teach at students, they teach content, like we mentioned. And you can vouch for me, I teach, I give people exercises to come to the table, I put the ball in your court and say, okay, you know content, now I want you to rearrange that content. Now I want you to rearrange your intention and come back to me and have something completely different. It's kind of full circle. And like I said, I, I really try to teach people how to learn because when I'm gone, you can still be growing as an individual or as a student rather than going, oh, David taught me a pirouette today. And then I left and then all you know is a pirouette. And then I come back and you still know a pirouette. You, you don't know anything else because you don't, you don't know how to approach things. Does that make sense? It does make sense. I mean, besides the approach and really being intentional about how you learn and, and what it is that, that you need to learn, what are some of the other big mistakes and myths that you see in dance training? Mistakes and myths. Well, one of the biggest things that I would have to comment on is a lot of people jump into dance without knowing their instrument. So, and I see professional dancers and I see educators at collegiate levels not knowing their instrument, the human body, but yet they're teaching dance. So it's like, how, how is that possible? If I didn't know, like, because I play saxophone, if I didn't know my instrument, how can I make a good product? How can I make, make something out of it? And so any dancer, therefore no, any educator teaching any new dancer should be educating them on how the body properly works and how the body needs to be training for the certain aesthetic of dance that they're pursuing. So um, very so often, these dancers, they'll train, they'll dance, and then they'll go, oh, I have an injury. Well, because you're training your body wrong, because the body's function isn't made to do that in the way that you're doing. So it, I feel like the biggest mistake for young dancers and this leads to injury and this is a big thing for injury prevention is they don't know the instrument that they're working with and so they, they they're fearless i love it they're fearless and they'll and you know what they may be capable they may have facility they may have everything they need to do to be a dancer but they don't know how the body operates or how the the structure of the body necessarily is is um, configured and therefore they cannot approach things with that in mind. Uh, what is a myth? Give me one myth about about dance training that you see. The, like oh so maybe like um you know what I see in class is like uh stretching a certain way which goes back to what you said um lack of knowledge with kinesiology yeah, yeah. and so, the functions of the body. There's a myth about training. A lot of people think that if you show up you're going to get better. No. <laughs> the thing is the myth about training is yeah, showing up is like 20%. Okay. Manifestation, mental manifestation is really, really, really important. And there's been a lot of psychological studies about this. A lot of people who show up and they do do the exercise in class and then they leave and they come back and they do the exercise again in class yield the same results as someone who did not go to class, but mentally manifested 
the experience of class. So say, I show up to class, I do a pirouette, I leave. I come back to class, I do a pirouette, I leave. Rather than saying, I don't go to class, I spend an hour meditating, thinking about every single detail of the pirouette, how to approach it, what am I going to do. In my brain, I'm, I'm meditating on it. I'm, and we do this before we go in for a job opportunity or we go in for anything. We, we, we run through scenarios through our head to, to better practice, to get ready. So we need to be doing the same thing in class. It's about the mental uh, manifestation. I need to, and performers do it all the time before they go on stage. If I'm a character, I need to get into that character's essence. I need to, I need to be that character, you know, so I need to hype myself up. I need to experience it. So that's the same thing that goes with, with training. And, and, and that's a big myth about dances. If you show up, you're going to get better. No, you show up, you work on what you need to do. And then when you leave class, you think about it. You have homework. You, you know, close your eyes, lay in bed, spend 30 seconds laying in bed before you go to sleep and just think about what you did in class and how you're going to do it better. It can be as simple as like a set of pirouette or a simple across the floor combination, but you need to think about every single detail and how you're going to approach that. So that way, when you are in the moment, your brain's already been there. You know, if, and, and if you have a vivid, high imagination, when you step into space, your imagination doesn't, it doesn't take hold. Reality takes hold, but your imagination is right there to jump in and go, I've already done this before. Therefore, it's not new and it's not foreign and you're not going to falter um, because of the, uh, the environment you're in. You know, you jump on stage and, and that's a different environment than the classroom setting. You have lights on you, the music is on, you have, you hear, you have thousands of people looking at you, breathing, making noise, that's distracting you from keeping your mind focused at the task at hand. So mental manifestation and using your imagination is integral and really, really um, important. And I try to make that clear to my younger dancers because if you're not doing that at home before you come back to class, that means you're not doing it before you go on stage. And that's, that's a big, big hindrance in, in your development as an artist and as a person and as a dancer and anything. You need to be going through things and, 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 and chewing on your content and thinking about it and problem solving and experiencing it. Because oftentimes... For example, the competitive dance world, you know, a lot of these parents are dishing out a lot of money for you to get the experience to perform on a stage. So why are you going to spend thousands of dollars for eight times to perform on stage when you can be performing on stage endlessly in your brain because your imagination is vivid? So that way when you do come presented with an opportunity to shine, you're not going to let the, um, the overwhelming effects of your current environment falter that opportunity to shine you're going to just jump right into it and shine because you've experienced experienced it before so besides taking classes just to take class what else do you think is a, a big waste of time when it comes to dance training besides taking class to take class a big waste of time i feel like a lot of people focus on the wrong things like i said they, they focus on what's popular and they become really good at what's popular but just like anything that's popular, it comes and goes. It's a fad, you know? Scrunchies were popular. Not so much anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? What an example. You know what I mean? So, like, you know, all denim was popular. Not so much anymore. So you can focus all you want on what's popular, but everyone's going to look the same. It's not going to prove 
anything to anyone as, especially to yourself as an individual, it's not going to prove anything to anyone because you're going to be, you're going to be lost in the populace. Everyone's going to be like, yeah, I have a perfect leg. Yeah. I have all these turns. Yeah. I can do all these different styles, but it's not going to be, um, necessarily inventive. I can't think of the right word to, to, to define this as, but, uh, I feel like a lot of people focus on what's popular and that, and it is important to know what's popular and let that shape you, but nine times out of ten, what's not popular, five years down the road, turns into what's being popular, you know? So, if anything, don't focus, don't let your primary focus be on what's cool and what's current. Be able to do that, but really be doing your research and really be looking through all areas and, and be feeding your, your natural self with, with content and material. Um, so that way, not only can you take what you're good at and take what's popular, but you can enhance it. Like I said, there's been so many jobs I've been on too, and I, I can turn. I'm, I'm one of those people who can turn. I, I found out that repetition was good for my training, and I, I practiced it a lot. And I went from a single pirouette to being able to do 12, 13 pirouettes, plus sometimes, not even just like a pirouette, but like really cool pirouettes and off-balance turns and, and multiple different turn combinations, things that maybe you wouldn't see normally because I, I, I take certain shapes and, and, I, and I'll manipulate that. So that's what I do. But every dance job that I've been on, besides one job, I've only done like a triple or quadruple on stage. And that was all that was asked for me. So yeah, it's great that I became a specialist in this certain area of dance. Um, and I was able to enhance that, but I necessarily wasn't able to use all that work that I did because, you know, th- those turns aren't widely used. You know what I mean? Legs are used, but you don't want to focus on perfecting something to a T and then realize that you only went down one avenue and you're not well-rounded. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. And as and as dance, it's tricky with dance because as you dance, you're going to find what type of dance connects with you and what you connect with it. And you're going to form a relationship and you're going to go, well, I'm a lyrical dancer. Well, I'm an African dancer. Well, I'm a Bollywood dancer. You know, this is what I connect with. Um, or I'm a, I'm a Vaganova dancer versus a Chiquetti dancer. You know, this is what I connect with and that's great. Um, you're going to find your avenue. You're going to find the styles that click with you and you're going to let those styles, um, influence you as an artist, but you don't want to, you don't want to tunnel vision yourself to a certain extent because you're not going to, you're not going to get the most out of it. You really, you really want to be a jack of all trades. If I can say anything, you really want to be a jack of all trades. And that goes with not only dance style, but that goes with performance style. I see a lot of performers who can't perform characters, you know, but I see a lot of dancers. It's not easy to do though. (laughs) No, it's not easy to do, but you know, it's, I feel like people often forget that dance is a performance a performing art and they think of it as a, as a singular thing, dance, but you're on a stage and when, you know, musical theater, there's dance, there's singing, there's acting. So there are very, there are productions and there, there are, there are events and there are, there are scenarios where, where dance comes into effect, but it's, it's just a small integral instrument, but small thing about a small um, proponent of an overall picture. So I feel like a lot of people, they'll, they'll be a great dancer, but necessarily they don't know all the aspects of being a great performer or performing for live audiences versus performing for, you know, film or performing for 
a huge audience versus making a performance very intimate. So um, a lot of people, young dancers especially, they, they worry about, like I said, what's popular, what's current, what's going to get them the most notoriety. And through that tunnel vision, they, they lose the importance of what's really going to shape them as an artist. They lose the open-mindedness of going, oh, I'm going to go look over here at this art- artistic um, platform this artistic um, avenue, and I'm gonna I'm gonna use their techniques. I'm gonna use that and implement it in what I do, and that's gonna enhance me. I, I feel like a lot of people, like I said, they start training and they find what they like, and then they go to what they like. They go, oh my god, I love jazz dance. I ugh, I love bossy dance. I'm gonna be a bossy dancer. That's <laughs> great. But through that tunnel vision, they they can't enhance th- themselves. You know. So, and they can't pull from outside resources to enhance themselves. So, if anything, really, really try to study through our, all artistic mediums and really try to pick the brains of all art, you know, artistic greats. We, we have the film industry. Um, the Oscars was the other night. You know, we, we look at these celebrities as gods almost because of their ability to perform. So, if that's a huge platform that's to the general mass we should look at that and go, okay, what are they doing that made us go, wow, they are critically acclaimed because the critics love them. And use that and implement that into yourself. So that's all. Try to, try to, try to look at all artistic avenues and, and see what, what is working with them and really try to implement that into, into what you do, whether it be a certain style, whether it be a certain aesthetic, whether it be a certain methodology or training, training practice. So really try to learn from others because, like I said, you may, you may disagree with them on 10 things, but one thing that they may say may click with you, and that could totally revolutionize the way that you, you look at yourself as an artist and the way you, you practice your training. I've learned most from people that I hated than... Honestly, from people where I'm like, wow, this, this is whack. Why, why would anyone be teaching this? But I, you learn what not to do. And by learning what not to do, you find out what to do. And I feel like very so often through that tunnel vision as what I'm talking about, people go, oh, well, this is what works. This is what works. This is what works. Yeah, but you got to fail. You got to fall on your face nine times before you go, wow, if I do it a tenth time, I'm going to need plastic surgery. Like, you know, like <laughs> you, 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 you got, you, you have to fall on your face before you go, well, wow, that didn't work. Well, that didn't work, but because these two things didn't work, I know what will work now. So like I said, it, try not to have tunnel vision and try not to say I'm this kind of dancer because this is the aesthetic I want to pursue. Great. You, you've identified that now, now enhance that. You don't want to reproduce what's already done. You want to enhance what's already done. And the only way to do that is to not have tunnel vision and to pull from outside resources and let all those influences of your personal life, whether it be emotional influences, artistic influences, culinary influences, because food inspires me. And I use that inspiration to when I teach and to connect with my students. So use all your influences to, to better enhance the aesthetic that you've identified. That's the avenue you want to go down. So what are your favorite instructional books or resources on dance? And if people had to teach themselves, what would you suggest that they use? Well, here's a little comment about that. I love reading and a lot of people don't like reading. 
um, <laughs> which is cool. And it takes time and, and, it, and it takes search. Go to a bookstore and spend a full day there. That's the great thing about Barnes & Noble is that they got a recliner in there and they got a coffee shop in there. So yeah, you can go check out books and you know what? If you don't want to spend 30 bucks for a book, you can read half the book during the day that you're there and put it right back on the shelf. So the, the thing about books is really try to find what type of literature, what type of text stimulates you and holds on to your attention. So if you're a fiction, fictional-based person and you need like sci-fi or mythology or whatever it is, find that avenue and dive into that avenue. But you really have to find what type of um, text stimulates you. Another, another comment is um, a lot of people don't read a vast amount of books as they did back in the day because we have electronics, we have screens now. But we're also not reading a lot of content-based stuff. We're reading maybe news, we're reading things on social media, but we're not reading full-on books. You know, we're, we might read you know, a chapter or a little bit of this or, or a journal, but we're not reading full-on books that someone has put together themselves. I have a phrase that I say, and I believe it's true. A college education, <laughs> in any education, is as expensive as a library card. You know, a lot of people pay yes. thousands mm-hmm. and thousands and thousands of dollars to, to get a college education when you have access to information at a library or better yet, Google, you know? So, yes. mm-hmm. so I mean, the thing about college institutions is you go and talk to a professor who, ha- who has experience in the field and they tell you what books to read. But if you are good at researching and finding books, then you don't need a college professor and you don't need to spend all those money, all that money to say, what books do I need to read? You can go find those books in, in a library, in Barnes and Noble or whatever, whatever, or through Google. So information is a click away and information is a drive away. So like I said, if you, you got to find what's stimulating to you and then you got to find the books that, that you know you're going to be receptive to. But for me and for any artists out there that I can recommend books to, I love a book called The Creative Impulse. I also love a um, book called Art and Fear because it, it's a it talks about you know a lot of uh, when you step into anything um, with creative and a creative process your heart is on your sleeve you know <laughs> that's the thing about our industry is uh, critics people cry there's a lot of emotion in our work because when we produce something we're putting a piece of ourselves into it and when someone criticizes it 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 gets kind of emo- emotional and people get very defensive at times and it's hard to take criticism. And so this book, Art and Fear, is really great because it, it teaches you how to um, take criticism and use it as fuel to, to enhance your product, to enhance your, your being. Yeah, and it talks about a lot of uh, the fears that you have on putting yourself out there um, artistically. So that's a great book. There's another great book that, um, that uses a concept that I reiterate a lot, and it's called Talent is Overrated. And um, I connect with that book because it just talks about work ethic. You know, you don't have to be the most talented in the room, but are you the hardest worker in the room? And I have found that definition to be true in my life with anything. You know, if if I want to do something, if I want to be something, if I want to go down a new path in my life, I may not know what I'm doing, but I'm going to be the hardest worker. And I'm going to pick everyone's brain and I'm going to find where I need to work so that way I can better enhance my overall journey. So um, Creative Impulse is a great one. It teaches you a lot about art history and different different forms of art. Art and Fear. 
and uh, talent is overrated. Cool. Those are great resources. And um, I will link those in the show notes as well. My last question to you on this segment is if you were to train me for 12 weeks for a dance competition and had a million dollars on the line, what would the training look like? Do I get part of the million dollars? Of course. (laughs) No, I don't. Money's whatever. I hate money. But nonetheless, it's a tool. It's just a tool. It is essential for life, but it's just an imaginary number. We try to keep balance in our head, but it doesn't Mm -hmm. doesn't validate anything. It doesn't prove your worth. But nonetheless, um, it depends on what dance competition and what those judges are looking for. So for example, if it was a choreography dance competition, or if it was a talent dance competition, it really depends on what what the judges are looking for, and then you would have to develop a performance based on that. But if I had 12 weeks to work with you, Annette, I would really, I would really, really, really try to find something that is profoundly dear to you that's going to have some kind of emotional connection. You know, I'm going to try to dig down deep into you and find something that you're very passionate about something that is very dear to you, and then really try to create some exercises to bring that into a physical realm, bring that into reality. And then I would try to shape movement on top of that for the piece. Now, of course, there's training on like uh, getting your instrument where it needs to be, um, you know, making sure your lines look good, making sure your aesthetic looks good, making sure your performance looks good. But if anything, I would try to make something that's dear to you because at the end of the day, conviction and purpose and heart the the root of where things come from is more engaging and more inviting to the audience to be a part of and connect with than just cool tricks you know what i mean and cool and cool formation changes and cool you know performances i would try to find something that's dear to you and i would try to manipulate it in a way that hasn't been done before and I would try to make your body able, able, um, able, <laughs> trying to make your body able and capable of doing, um, of featuring that content in ways that maybe hasn't been featured before. If you're a spoken word artist and you walked onto the stage and you didn't have anything profound to say besides just random words that that you know rhyme together, you know, cat, bat, frat, dat, you know, it's not going to pull an emotionary, uh, uh, sorry, an emotional um, reaction from the audience member. And I feel like any competitive dance show or competition or whatever it may be, you really have to connect with the general audience as a whole. Um, and they, and they have to connect with you and you have to be very, um, selfless and, and invite them in. And that's, takes a lot of guts. takes a lot of, um, a lot of balls. Can I say that? Yes. Because I mean, I mean, women don't have that, but women have a lot more guts than a lot of men do at times. So I don't want to use that uh, that phrase, but it, it takes a lot of convic- conviction. That's the word I'm thinking of, and belief um, in yourself. Now, what if um, the training period was shortened to eight weeks? What if you only had eight weeks to work with me? Would what would be different? Uh, we would need to identify what that element that I was speaking on just a second ago is really fast, and then we'd have to develop. A project and develop a piece and then I would hope by four after four weeks we would have a product done and then after those four weeks we would have another four weeks to shape mold and and develop it further I feel like a lot of people well I always say that I feel like a lot of people I know a lot of creators they create something 
they right when they finish it, that's the draft that the public sees. But a lot of great artisans through history, they go back to things. They redraft, they redraft, they redraft. That's why a lot of great books, you know, have been written over a course of 20 years. Because they go back and they add to it, they edit it. And a true craftsman is never satisfied. I'm never satisfied with what I do. <laughs> and, 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 and that goes to show you um, the perseverance of your artistry and, and of, of, your, of your own humanity is you always want to strive to be better. You always want to make something better. So with that said, I feel like a lot of um, creators, they don't allocate time for that process. They create and then they put the product out or they put whatever it is out right when they're done creating it. No, you need time to create it, let it be, sit on it, leave it for a second. You know, if we had eight weeks, Annette, I would spend four weeks getting something out of you, and then I would give you a week off. Seriously, I would give you a week off, and then I'd spend those last three weeks manipulating it into something else and really trying to make it a finished uh, quality product. Because a lot of times people don't pull themselves out of their creative um, habit, therefore they get lost in the bubble and they go down a certain avenue, and then they've gone down an avenue so far that they can't pull themselves back out and go down another avenue. It makes that creative process extremely difficult, and they feel stuck, or they feel like maybe it's gone a certain direction where it didn't need to go. I see a lot of projects that start off really strong, and then they kind of go off on a tangent, like I do when I talk. (laughs) They can never bring it back. And I see a lot of... um, you know, performances that start, eh, but then all of a sudden they, they end on a, on a great, on a great note. So it, it's about tying the whole together. And to do that, you have to withdraw yourself. Think about it like this. Okay. So if I was a choreographer looking at my dance on a stage and I was sitting on the front row, great. I watched it sitting from the front row. Now I'm going to go sit in the back row. I'm going to see things from the back row that I never saw from the front row just by having that that uh, the displacement, that space displacement, that distance. So I pulled myself out of that energy and I moved myself to a different point of view, different perspective, and I was able to, to see things differently. And I feel like that is an invaluable quality that a lot of creators don't allow themselves to do. They, they create in the moment and then they put their product out and they, they can't. They can't withdraw themselves and then come back to something. So yeah, I would do that. And then I would win that money. <laughs> now that you're warmed up, get ready to go full out with our feature presentation. First impressions can be lasting, but they are not always accurate. That was one of the main thoughts I was thinking when I watched a production called Paradise Lost, Reclaiming Destiny, from a dance company called Not Man Apart. This was their adaptation of Adam and Eve's Temptation and the War in Heaven, and it was very interesting. There was dance, acrobatics, partnering, and amazing digital animation effects. I got so many ideas again. (laughs) I'm so thankful to watch these performances, and not only do I get the dance perspective on it, but I get another artistic perspective on it. I get business ideas. And so 
I encourage you to watch as many things as you can with different mediums, whether they're on film or on stage or something else. It's such a gift to be able to take all this in and get your thoughts going, get your ideas going. Amazing. Anyway, I want to bring up five things that I got from reviewing this production, which I'm so thankful that I got to attend. So acrobatics, partnering, physicality, digital animation effects. Very cool. These are the five things I got from them. Number one, what I said in the beginning about first impressions, they are not accurate sometimes. In the beginning of this show, the movement was very pedestrian. There was not a lot of dance movement or big full body movement. And I thought, okay, are these just, I don't want to say just, okay, are <laughs> are these dancers or are these people that are going to be moving through this production? And I was in the mood to see more dancing, really. I, I wanted to see more dancing. And so my first impression was not accurate because as the performance went on, boy, there was dancing, there was physicality, there was partnering, and I loved it. I love the intensity of it. I thought the intensity was much in terms of certain scenes being extended out a little bit too long for my taste, but I I got it. They are dancers. <laughs> they are physical and they are strong. So first impressions are not always accurate sometimes. So be open. Number two, I came up with this formula. I don't take complete credit for this formula, but this is what I came up with. Effort plus energy equals excitement or Effort plus excitement equals energy. Energy and excitement created within this production because of the effort and the energy and the effort and the excitement. I don't know if that totally makes sense, but that's what I wrote down <laughs> because that's what I felt. There was a constant energy. Even during the slower parts, it, it was very heightened for me. I, I'm not sure if it was the state I was in, but almost like there wasn't a, a, enough of a break for me. And so this constant, constant energy. And it reminded me the importance of balance and how I would have probably liked to see a little bit more balance in terms of the energy. And like I said, it, it was maybe me of where I was at at the time of sitting there in anticipation of wanting more dance and that kind of thing. But this constant movement at a very, very heightened state that I got this heightened energy and not so much like the more even peaceful moments of stillness. And maybe they were there and I just missed them. I don't know. But it was a couple weeks ago. So I'm, I'm revisiting and, and I'm reimagining the performance. And, and what I'm seeing more is the constant effort and energy that equaled the excitement and the effort and the excitement that equaled the energy. Hopefully that makes sense. <laughs> Number three, um, as I was watching this, I was thinking, okay, I know what they're saying because it's obvious what the storyline is. So in your business, in your dance, in your projects, what are you trying to say? How are you going to emphasize your points? Sometimes, like I said before, some of the scenes in this show was a little bit too drawn out for me. And I think there's a balance between repeating yourself, repeating themes so people get it. And every situation is different, of course. But what is it that you're trying to say? So maybe they were trying to say to me, this is important. And we're going to tell you this is important because we're going to keep doing it over and over and over again. I've had to revisit this when I've been doing a choreography project and my interpretation of repeating things was a little bit too much. So I would take a segment of movement 
and repeat it several times throughout the piece, but it was a little bit too much. But that was that was a learning experience for me. So what is it that you're trying to say? How are you going to emphasize it, whether it's in a dance piece or a business project or something that you're working on? Are you trying to balance it out or are you going to keep repeating it? You know, as an artist, it is your prerogative to do what it is that you want to do and the message that you want to convey. But you need to know what you're trying to say. So what are you trying to say? How are you going to emphasize your points? Number four, I love dance with meaning. I love knowing what something means by movement. Now, dance obviously can be for dance sake, for entertainment's sake. And even that, there is meaning behind it. There's energy behind it. There's effort, as we talked about in point number two. But meaning gives so much more to movement. Meaning gives so much more to what you're doing, whether it's in business or dance. And that comes down to that question of why. Why are you doing something? Why is this being choreographed this way? Why is this set looking this way? Why are you using these digital effects? And I loved in this production, the use of all these different elements that was very purposeful. And that's what I really appreciated about this production. Everything was purposeful. There was meaning. Number five, be creative from the start. When um, there's productions and they announce like uh, in the beginning, put your cell phones away or the exits are to the right, just like when you're on an airplane, right? When they, <laughs> when they tell you all the, all the housekeeping rules or plane keeping rules, right? And they tell you all the stuff in the beginning of no flash photography and that kind of thing. They were creative from the start. So they started with the digital effects and intertwining the performers with the announcements, which I thought was fantastic. So it integrated the elements of the show. So right from the get-go, it was creative and it was engaging. And so they got my attention. So be creative from the start, whether it's your dance production, it's your business, something that you're another project, artistic project that you're working on. So again, let's go over these five things again. Number one, first impressions are not accurate sometimes. Number two, effort plus energy equals excitement or effort plus excitement equals energy. Number three, what are you trying to say? How are you going to emphasize whatever it is that you're doing in your, in your dance piece, your performance, your business project? Number four, move with meaning. What is the why behind your dance and or your business? Number five, be creative from the start. Get people's attention right from the start. And you can do this in so many different ways. Do you want to continue our conversation? I would love to get to know you better and see where I can help you best in my private Facebook group called the Dancepreneuring Collective. And you can send me a message at AnnetteBone.com or go to any of the social media profiles and send me a direct message and I will add you. I'm really happy to get to know you better. Number two, if you are in the greater Los Angeles area, I want to invite you to attend the Success Dance Symposium that I'm putting on with professional dancer, choreographer, and educator, Kay Nicole Hagens, who I've also interviewed on the podcast, and I will link her episode in the show notes. She is amazing. She has danced with Usher and Prince and Lady Gaga, just to name a few. She's done a ton of stuff, and she will get you grooving and get you dancing even better than you think you can. So join us at this workshop 
The link will also be in the show notes at AnnetteBone.com forward slash 115. It's coming up on April 22nd. It's a Saturday from 4 to 6 p.m. at the awesome Boogie Zone Utopia in Torrance, California. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play. If you want to leave a review, subscribe. I would totally appreciate it. And it helps me to improve the podcast as well as get your name out on a future session of the Dancepreneuring Studio. Until next time, I pray that you have an exceptional week and more blessings than you can imagine. I really look forward to talking with you again soon. Thank you for listening. This has been a session of the Dancepreneuring Studio. Find the archives of this show at annettebone.com slash podcast or on iTunes. Contact Annette at annettebone.com. This podcast copyright by annettebone.com and dancepreneuring.com. All rights reserved. The Dancepreneuring Studio is the place where dance inspires life and business.